Have you ever been treated unfairly? Have you ever felt like maybe mom or dad has like treated your brother or sister like better than you? Anyone like they got, you got the unfair treatment. Like how come they got to do this? I know that older brothers and sisters, like the oldest usually kind of gets a short end of the stick because like you guys don't get to do anything. Like your parents are like all nervous. It's their first baby. They're like, oh no, we don't want you to die. So they're really strict, you know? But then by the time you're like, I'm the youngest in my family. So Man, I, I had, like, no rules. It was pretty cool. Like, my parents were like, just go, just don't die. Like, just get out of the house. But my, my older brother, like, oldest brother, he had all the rules. And it was always this thing, man, how come he gets to do that when I was his age? I didn't get to. And we can feel it, right? Like, don't you, can you, like, feel it when you're being treated unfairly? It's like this thing that happens and you get, just get really angry and you, like, just want to point it out. You want everyone to know. You want everyone to feel bad. Like, right now, I am being treated unfairly and the world needs to know it. It's not fun when people play favorites, right? When people are impartial. Like, that monkey, let that dude know it. Like, I don't want this cucumber. He's got a delicious grape. Like, I'm throwing this in your face. But we can relate, right? We can relate to that idea of, it's called partiality. When someone plays favorites, when we're treated unfairly. And God actually has a lot to say about this in the Bible. And James, as we're walking through our series, Asking for a Friend, where he's helping us kind of like figure out how to live the Christian life day by day, like the practical stuff. He makes a big deal of this. God really does not want this to happen inside his church. You know, like this group of people, as we sit here together, we're the church of God. As we believe in Jesus, we're brothers and sisters sitting in this room, and we have the same heart for Christ. And God looks down on us, and he's like, listen, I don't want partiality. I don't want this, this favoritism, this unfairness dwelling in the hearts of my people, of us. And, and as you look around the room, and you just kind of think about the different groups that are here, right? Groups that maybe you would probably have nothing to do with. You're like, I don't do the things they do. I don't have the talents they have. I don't have the interests that group has. I just wouldn't really relate to this group. But maybe this group, like, yeah, that's where I could see myself. And we tend to gravitate, right, to those groups, but we tend to do something else when we do that. We treat people differently based on it. You're not like me, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat you a little different than the people I'm like that I can relate to. And that's how it starts to creep in our hearts, and God looks down at his church, and he's like, listen, I want you to love each other. I want you to love each other equally across the board, to look at each other um, with the same amount of love, no matter how different you are. And so open up with me. We're in James chapter 2 tonight, verses 1 to 13. It's going to talk to us about this idea of, of fairness. Starting in verse 1, he says this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that word I just taught you, partiality, which means like that favoritism. So he just says it straight up. He says brothers because he's talking about the church, people who believe in Jesus. He's like, listen, if you have the love of God in you, if you've believed in Jesus, God's love's in you. And if it's in you, here's what you should not do. Don't be unfair to the people around you in the body of Christ. And he says, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see that part? There's a big key to doing this. It's not easy to do on your own. It's like natural. It's, it's this human nature that we have that causes us to be this way. And God's like, the only way you can break out of that 
If you really want to live the Christian life day by day, the right way, the way Jesus set out for you, here's what you do. You have the faith of our Lord in your heart. Because it takes that faith to be able to break out of that mold and do something that's supernatural. Something that's not natural to you at all, that won't come as just like a given in your life. You have to actually trust God to do this through you, to love people this way. And here's the next phrase. He says, as he's talking about Jesus, he says, the Lord of glory. He didn't have to throw that phrase in there. You see how many names he uses for Jesus? Our Lord, Jesus, Christ, the Lord of glory. (laughs) There's a lot of like... Very like defining words in there, describing Jesus. He didn't need them all. Why do you think he adds that phrase, the Lord of glory? Because what are we talking? Glory. Essentially, we're talking about glory. When we give someone more worth or more value than another person, this guy walks in the room and we're like, oh, he's awesome. He's cool. He's someone I can like, you know, relate to whatever. And so we treat him with a better treatment with more glory than we do this other person that I don't relate to, that I don't necessarily get, or maybe don't even get along with. So they're going to get treated differently with less glory, with less worth that I'm going to treat them with. And God's like, what are you doing? You don't even understand glory, but Jesus, who can do this in you, he's the Lord of glory. He is the king of all glory. The one who deserves it all knows it better than you and I. So, Why do we feel like we have the right to decide who's worth more than who? God's like, you have no right to place value like that on other people and tell someone that they're worth more than another person. That's not your place. Jesus is the Lord of glory, and he says they're infinitely valuable to him enough that he would die on a cross for their lives. So who are we to come along and to treat people differently like that? to decide what we think each person is worth. God says, don't do it. James has a stern word. He's like, don't do that. As a matter of fact, as the love of God is in you, that same love, God's love, looks at people with this amazing, deep, deep equality. The same Jesus went to a cross for all of us broken people All of us have sin. All of us have shortcomings. All of us have downfalls. And yet Jesus looked at all of us and said, I love you enough to die for every single one of you. He didn't say like, a little more of my death goes towards Rob and a little less goes towards Justin, you know, and he didn't do that. He's like, all of you, like, I am giving my life, my ultimate sacrifice for you. Because I am the Lord of glory. And when that love lives in your heart, like if you're walking with Jesus and you're spending your days with Jesus, that love wells up in your heart. That's how you start to love other people. Because that's a love that's going to come out of you. But if you're not spending time with Jesus, all you got is your own love. And it's not that good, I hate to tell you. And it's not that big. And it's not going to be able to accomplish what James is telling us here. It takes the love of Jesus that looks at people with these eyes that say, I'll sacrifice it all for you. And that's how God wants us to love others. And when that happens, you know what? There is no room left to judge people like that. There's no room left. Because God's love is this endless, unconditional love. 
There's no room. It fills up your heart and pushes out the prejudice and the bias and the racism and all of these other things that we have in our hearts where we tend to judge people with. God's love pushes it out and says, there's no room for it. And all that's left is this love that looks at people and says, man, whatever it takes, I'm going to show you that you're worthy of the son of Jesus, the son of God, Jesus Christ dying for you. And here's why. Look at what it says next. It says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, into your church, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you uh, stand over there, sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He's like, imagine this like rich dude walks into your church. I mean, he drives up, he parks up there in a Lamborghini, Lamborghini tractor. They make tractors, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Jumps off it. He's wearing really nice clothes. Comes in the back. He's got, like, money hanging out of his pocket. You're like, dude, I got to know this guy. He's got some money. He's a good guy to know. Come on in. Come sit in the church. Sit right here. Have the best seat. Let me bring you a drink and a bottle of water and, like, whatever you need. Just, like, be welcome. And then a homeless dude walks in, pulls himself up from behind the Garbage can across the street and drags himself across the road and he's all dirty and his his clothes are all torn and he stinks really bad because he has not showered in weeks. And he comes stumbling in the back door. How is your heart going to respond? Are you going to treat those two people differently? Those kids who wear like the brand name clothes, like all the right stuff. They have the right life on Instagram. They're like, they're like influencers on social media. Everybody wants to hang out with them. They're funny. They're awesome. They dress right. Their hair's right. Everything's right. And then that one kid comes in who like never bought or picked out clothes for himself like from the day he was born, you know, like just wearing whatever. Hasn't talked to a whole lot of people, kind of socially awkward, you know, doesn't even know how to say hello really, just shy. Comes stumbling in the back door. How are you going to respond? What does your heart say? Like, who do you want to reach out to? Who do you want to go up and say hi to and introduce yourself to? Would there be a difference in your heart if two different types of people like that walked in? Do you immediately feel in your heart this, like, draw toward one rather than the other? You, you probably do if you're human because that's human nature. It's something that we do. And James is like, but you're not called to live naturally. You're called to live supernaturally. And God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to live through his love and his power that can look at both of those types of people and say, I love you both. Come in, sit with me. Join my friend group. Come play pool or ping pong with me. Come sit with us during the service. Come up front and raise your hands with us and sing worship with us. Spend the evening with us at Firehouse or at church or whatever. Like, be our friend. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. That's cool. It doesn't matter if you stink a little bit. Like, whatever. You're different than me. I get it. But God loves you so much. And guess what? So do I. Because his love is all in here. I want you to feel welcome. I want you to know that you have a family and that you belong here. That's what James is saying. But it's not easy. Think about school, right? 
It's one thing to talk about church because we tend to be on a little bit better behavior. He's like, God's watching us. You know, what about school? When you're in your, like, you're cool, like you're in your groove at school, right? It's like your life during junior high and high school. That's life. So you're there and you're going to make sure your reputation's up. You can't be hanging out with people that are going to make your reputation hurt. Going to lower your standing in the eyes of your friends and your peers. Is that the thought that goes through your mind? As you walk your hallways and sit in your lunch tables and, and play sports and do your things at school, are you thinking that? Like who you're going to sit by in class? Are you avoiding the people that aren't like you because you're like, man, like you're making a judgment. And what he, it says here is that we become judges with evil intentions. Like we actually, that's evil of us to look at people and to judge them like that and put worth on them. Like don't sit by me like, or you just quietly get up and go somewhere else because you don't want to be seen with that person. Man, I'm in the same boat as you. Like I feel that in me. It disgusts me that I feel that sometimes, that that goes through my mind because I don't want to be that way. And you know what? God's like, it doesn't have to be. With my love, something supernatural can happen in you and allow you to reach out to even the people that you might initially want to get away from. That's the heart of God. I hope you want God's heart. I hope your desire is to be like Jesus. If you call yourself a Christian and you follow him, I hope you actually want to follow where he's going, and that is exactly where he's going. He's going toward the people who are hurting. And guess what? Most hurting people, they fit in that category of people that were like, no, I mean, my flesh doesn't really want to be around you. (laughs) I want to go the other way. And God's like, turn around and run right into the middle of that because that's where my heart is. And I hope your heart wants to go there too. Then he says this, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him? Now he's talking about like when Jesus was giving his sermon on the mount, remember that when Jesus was talking about like, blessed be the poor, like the poor are blessed and immediately most of us are like, wait, how are the poor blessed? That seems the exact opposite of blessing. They're poor. They didn't win the lottery or get some awesome job or get super lucky at something. Like, I don't see some crazy blessing in their life. They're poor. That seems like a curse. But Jesus is like, that's actually a blessing because it causes them to be humble. It pulls away some distractions that wealthier people might have to deal with, and it allows them to see something really important. It can allow them to see that they need God. Like, I can't just pay away my problems. I can't reach into my wallet and just like pay for all the things that have gone wrong. I don't have the money to do that. So how do I get out of this mess? I have to fall on my knees and go, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. Right? That's a blessing because it's allowing them this like this ability to see where they're really at. To see their actual situation, how in need they really are. And here's the catch. Ready? Because wealthy people still need Jesus just as much. They just don't see it. They can be distracted by their things, and they think they can pull the wallet out and pay for their problems, but they need Jesus just as much as the poor people. And James says, man, before you go judging the poor, remember that they are able to have the most humble hearts. They've learned some of the most beautiful lessons that God can teach about humility and dependence on him. 
You who knows what's inside their heart, don't judge a book by its cover just because you see someone walking in who might dress differently than you. And immediately write them off. You have no idea what kind of person God is forming inside of them until you talk to them and reach out to them and show them love. But don't immediately judge. He says, you have no clue how much God can do in the poor. I was in a village in Guatemala when I was, first time I went, I was 16 years old to Guatemala on a mission trip. And they took us, our team took us to this one village called La Fragua. And it's like built on this uh, railroad, old broken down railroad line. Train wasn't even going anymore. It was this forgotten place. And poor people would go there because nobody else wanted to go there. And they would kind of set up these metal like sheets against like sheets of metal against each other and make these houses of whatever they could literally find that just like put together to give them shelter. And they lived in that. And they just squatted there. They didn't have to pay for their land. Nobody cared. Nobody wanted to know about them. So we went out there and we brought them bags of food and supplies. And we would just walk up house by house all the way down this railroad track. It was like a big line of houses or shacks. And I remember one of the first houses I went to, I walk in and this is old, little old couple. They're all shriveled up. They're only about this tall. They're just like the sweetest, cutest little people. And they invite us in and we sit down with them. And I start having this conversation, just talking to them about their life and hearing their stories. And the first thing I noticed was this massive smile on both of their faces. They're just like so happy to tell me all these stories. It was like they were just bubbly and full of joy, and it felt so weird to me. Why were they so happy? Because as I sat there uncomfortable on this, like, log that was in the front yard because they didn't have furniture, they had this ripped old hammock hanging off this, these two posts in their yard. That was their bed that they shared. That was it. That was the only furniture they had. So I'm sitting on this log. Answer biting me. It's sweltering hot out. I'm dying of thirst. Dirt's just blowing in my face. There's like animals running everywhere. And I'm thinking, how are you so happy here in the middle of this? And so I look at them, and I, one thing that I said uh, was, hey, we're going to do whatever we can to help you. Right? It seemed like a good thing to say. I was a missionary. We were there to help. And <laughs> this. This cute little old lady looks me right back in the face with this huge toothless smile and just says, we, what? She says, we have everything we need. She looks so confused. Like, what could you possibly do for us? And I must have looked confused too because she kind of pushed in more and she said, we have Jesus. And Almost like it was practice, you know, like on cue, the little old toothless man, neither one had teeth, right? So the little old man starts singing this old hymn. It's, it's Cuán Grande Es, which is How Great Thou Art. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that old hymn, but he starts just this beautiful voice in Spanish, starts singing, bellowing out this hymn. And then she just immediately joins in and together they little hands, shriveled up hands, hold hands, and they start just singing this hymn, and I'm having, we're having a stinking worship service in the front yard all of a sudden. It was the most beautiful moment. And there I was thinking I was going to come in and change their life and fix all their problems and bring them supplies because that's what they really needed. That lady taught me a lesson. What we really need is Jesus. But you know what I did? I immediately judged. 
I walked in there and immediately had this bias in my mind, like, they're poor, they need me. They had everything they needed. They had Jesus. Man, I was so off base. And I think as James says this verse, it's probably a similar thought going through his mind that he wants us to know. Don't be so quick to judge people based on their social standing or any other characteristic that you might think defines them. Because what we really need is Jesus, and every one of us needs him. That puts us on equal playing field, doesn't it? He says this next. He says, but you have dishonored the poor man. (laughs) When you do that, it's literally dishonoring, and we're making assumptions that we shouldn't make. We're drawing conclusions that just aren't true. And then he turns and he says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now, he's not saying like all rich people are evil. That's not at all what he's saying, but he's making this comparison, right? He's saying you immediately put the poor people down and lift the the rich people up, but you're forgetting something. There's a lot of poor people who are so content right in the center of the love of Jesus. They've got life figured out better than you do probably, even in their poverty. And at the same time, there are rich people who are miserable, who don't have it figured out. Rich people who think that they can depend on their wealth and their money, and they don't know Jesus. They haven't figured life out yet, that it all is based in the love of Christ. They haven't got it. So before you're quick to judge based on that, remember, (laughs) you can't judge a book by its cover. Now he says this, if you really fulfill the royal law, like God's law, according to the scripture, here's what it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing well, he says. So he pulls out what Jesus says, like, here's what you should do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He starts really digging into this truth, right? So we find out, okay, so this this rich poor thing was just one example of what he's really actually getting to. He's starting to go deeper and say, how are you treating your neighbor? How are you treating all of the people around you in your life? Are you showing favoritism without even knowing it? Are you doing the very thing all of us hate and we can't stand when it's done to us? Are you doing that to the people in your life? He wants to take a deeper look at your heart. That's where it gets uncomfortable. You might already feel that, like, whoa, you're getting a little too personal tonight, James. Don't be looking that far in here because I might have to change some things tonight, and I'm not sure I'm ready. Let him do it. Let him poke and prod and look around in your heart tonight. Open it up to Jesus and see what we find inside because what he's saying here is that we, we need to realize that we don't deserve praise either. <laughs> we don't deserve this glory. We don't deserve even the love that we're shown. This is all undeserved. It's called grace. We talk about all the time at Firehouse. Grace is a gift that you don't deserve. And when we realize that none of us deserve to be loved like that, we deserve the penalty of hell. We deserve death. But God is so good. He looks down and says, I want to give you something better. Something I know you don't deserve, but I want to give it to you. And that's the type of love that we get, but not because we deserve it. So we've got no right to be like, oh, yeah, well, like, I get to judge other people because, like, 
God's forgiven me. I'm this Christian that like, I know the Lord and I know. No, that's not it at all. You are broken. You were a mess before Jesus showed up and put you back together. And every day Jesus has to come and take you and mold you like clay and and justify you and sanctify you each day more and more to look like him. It's this process that you're in. Don't forget that you're broken without Jesus. Because when you, you, when you remember that, you start to look at other people and say, I'm no better than you. Who am I to judge you? My life is broken. James is almost kind of turning, and, and, and look what he does next. He says, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. He's going from just this illustration of like rich and poor people to like, hey, what about sin? As someone comes in the church and sits down and like, obviously they're living a life that most of us are almost scared of the things that we hear that they're doing or might even see them do out in the community or in our schools. And they show up to youth group and we're like, whoa, what? be around them. And we start to go to our groups and we start to be like, did you see so-and-so? Do you know what they did? Have you heard the story? And we judge and we gossip, and we backbite, and it starts to snowball into this thing where our hearts become evil. They become hardened instead of realizing, hey, this broken person came in who's hurting. And I remember when I was hurting, when I was broken, and instead of sitting here and judging them and pointing fingers and gossiping and coming over here, I'm going, how can we love them? I wonder what they need. I wonder how we could serve them. And you get your group of friends that are the good Christians. And instead of judging, you guys go over and surround that person and you love them and say, how can we walk you closer to Jesus? How can we be good friends to you and serve you? James says, we're, we're sinning when we're sitting in the seat of judgment like that. We should be convicted, he says, as transgressors of the law because we've done that. When we judge people based on whatever it is, background, language, things that they're doing, their skin color, their personality, how wealthy or poor they are, all of those things, we have no right to judge. Jesus looks at all of us with the same immeasurable love. So we should too. He says this next. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. I think of that, that story when, I, when Jesus was going around and he saw this woman who was known for her sin, and she had all these dudes around her, these holy, like righteous, religious guys were around her, and they were all picking up stones about to stone this woman for her sin. And Jesus comes up and he's like, whoa, what are you doing? And like, Jesus, she's full of sin. She's got to pay. She broke the law. And Jesus stoops down into the dirt. And it says he writes something. If he drew a line or maybe wrote sins that these men were guilty of, who knows? It doesn't say. But something that he wrote caused people to go, oh, oh, wait. All of a sudden, stones start falling out of dude's hands, and they start backing up a little bit. And Jesus says, hey, uh, how about we do this instead? How about the first one of you that can say that you don't have any sin? You get to throw the first stone. And the dudes were like, nah, like, 
let's wipe that out of the sand. I'm out of here. I'm going home. You see, like, we do that. We're, we're those guys so often. We're those dudes with the stones, and we're ready, right? We're ready to throw stones at people in our life. Maybe it's, it's this, like, I need revenge. This person did this to me. They hurt me. And I can't wait just to get back at them. How could they ever do that? And the stone's up, right? And our arm's cocked, and we're ready to go. And we hit a passage like this where Jesus is looking us in the face going, hey, remember who you are. Before you judge people, will you remember who you are? What I've done for you because you were broken? Because you were messed up? Because you've hurt other people and they deserve revenge? But listen, that's not yours to have. Just receive the love and treat other people with that same undeserved love. Then James says, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you don't commit adultery but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So the next thing he says is, here's why. You might be a really good person. But if you've done one thing, one thing, you were just as guilty as the dude who did a million things because you have sinned against an infinite God. One thing is just as bad as a million, and you are just as guilty standing before the Lord. He's like, so don't sit there and be like, oh, but I'm better than them. Right? I go to church, and we start to kind of list the things that we're good at, that God should be pleased with us for. Like, I worked at the House of Hope, and I helped this old lady across the road, and I read my Bible, and I was really nice to my teacher, and, I, and like, we're listing all these things, right? And God's like, that's great, but you still have sin. And so does he. And at this point, we're not even counting up how much each has because it don't matter anymore. What matters is you're both broken and you're both guilty and you're both on your way to hell without Jesus, no matter how much of each thing you did. You both need Jesus just as much. So don't judge them for that. Introduce them to Jesus. Introducing the one that you already know, this perfect Lord of glory that they deserve, they should know. It says this, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. He's like, you have been given something awesome, freedom, right? So as you've believed in Jesus, where you should have to pay this crazy penalty from the law, Jesus stepped in and he died on the cross for you to make you free. So you're fighting from a place of victory. You're getting to go, hey, I get to live now for Jesus because I choose to and not because I have to and try to keep the law. He's already done that for me, and now I can go just love people and serve Jesus with with this freedom that allows me to walk up to somebody that I'm nothing like, that I probably typically would not want to hang out with under most circumstances, and I get to do something supernatural something totally out of character for my old self. I get to walk up because I have liberty. I have this grace and be like, hey, do you need a friend? How are you doing today? You need someone to sit with in our service? Is there anything I can do for you? Hey, could I pray for you? I noticed you seem like you might have some stuff going on. Could I pray for you? Is there anything I could help you with or serve you? Right, that's not natural. But this law of liberty that we are now under gives us the grace to be able to do something supernatural. He says, for judgment 
is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Here's the bad news. Don't miss the bad news. This isn't all like roses. This is like, hey, get your act together. You've been freed, so live free. You've been given grace, so show grace. It's a stern reminder that in our freedom, we shouldn't waste and squander that freedom and still judge people and still be horrible to people, but instead we should use it to actually get up and love people. He says, because if you don't show mercy, you're not going to be shown mercy. (laughs) That's a pretty stern thing to say. Remember, how you treat other people, you're going to get treated that way. And he ends with this, mercy triumphs over judgment. I titled tonight's message that mercy is greater than judgment every single time. Every time as you have the the opportunity maybe to get revenge or to treat someone a certain way or just to be judgmental, mercy is always going to trump that. You always have an option. You always have the choice instead to respond with love and grace and mercy to that person as they walk in to do something supernatural, to do something you're normally not able to do on your own, but Jesus has given you the right to do it and the power to do it. I, I think of it this way. I picture like a prison. If you like close your eyes for a second, just picture you're looking like you're, you're God and you're sitting up in the sky and you're looking down at this prison from up in the sky and you see prisoners walking around kind of their cells doing circles and you see guards running around kind of in the hallways guarding them. And it seems like this, this drastic difference, right? Some dudes are there because they're the good ones. They're the cops. They're the, the guards. And then you got the, the ones who broke the law. They're the evil ones, and they're the prisoners. And it's funny because in my eyes, I see good and evil, right? It's like very distinct. But as God's looking down, I think what God sees, whether they're wearing a badge and holding a gun or they're in a cage wearing a jumpsuit, or they're a missionary coming in to hand out Bibles, like whoever they are, they all need Jesus. Every single person, no matter what side of the fence they're on, no matter what activity they're involved in, they're lo- we, God's looking down going, I love you. I know you're broken. I know you have sin. I know that you have things in your life that need to get fixed. And that's what I'm here for. How awesome that you have the opportunity as a child of God to bring that solution to people, to introduce them to the one who can wrap his arms around them and actually bring healing to their life. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me tonight? For some of you guys, this might be hitting really close to home. I know as I studied this this week, it was hitting close to home for me. A lot of things came to my mind. A lot of different people over the years that I've treated a certain way. And I'm just praying that the Lord continue to grant me like love that allows me to just treat people the way Jesus would. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you came and you hear this message and you're like, Man, I need Jesus to do a work in my heart because I judge. Man, I I have this like partiality that James is talking about, and I want God to do that in me, do something, fix this in me, fill me with the love of Jesus. As we're about to sing a worship song, would you guys just do me a favor? Would you just right now quietly in your own silence of your own head just say, God, 
Will you point that out to me if that's me? Over this next song, will you just show me the parts of my heart where I'm guilty of this and I need to repent and hand this over to you? Just ask the Lord and see what he says.